some ups and downs. And this year, the season just started a few weeks ago, and Liverpool had the worst start ever that I can remember. Just awful start. And my oldest son, Malachi, is a Chelsea fan. And he's been very happy that Daddy's team is doing so badly. <clears throat> and so um, all the Liverpool fans around the world, we've been discouraged and down and negative. And this is the end of Liverpool season. We had a new manager, a new coach, new players. And then yesterday, my team played and they recorded an English Premier League victory beating their opposition 9-0 in soccer. That's like in American football beating a team 63-0. It was huge, and suddenly all the Liverpool fans around the world, we're on forums and all these different things, they're just expectant and excited again. All the, the misery's gone, and we're ready for a great season again. You see, here's what I realized this morning as I sat in my office. When the world offers us its joy, well, the world's joy is up and down. It's like the proverbial roller coaster, right? And when the world offers us hope, well, it's here one minute, and then, ah, got you, it's gone. And whatever the world offers anything to us, it's always a temporary thing. We have to remember that. But as followers of Jesus, we don't ride an up-and-down train. We don't have to be all happy and glory. God is so good and amazing and wonderful one minute, and the next minute, down. oh, my goodness, is there even a God? If there is, does He care for me? What's going on? How come my life is so terrible? We don't have to ride that train as followers of Jesus. And so um, I'd like to share with you a little bit about how we can become and how we can grow as a victorious church family. But it starts with you as an individual. It starts with me as an individual. And as we learn this lesson to be a victorious follower of Jesus, then our church family becomes a victorious church family. Amen? But now here's the harsh reality. Now your life may not be like this, but this is how my life is. Sometimes things don't go how I planned. You know, I've done the old, the 12-month plan, the 3-month plan, the 5-year plan, the 10-year plan. And I'm now 53 years old and I'm still trying to figure out the 12-month plan. Why has that one not worked yet? Let alone the three-year and the five-year plan, you know? Things don't go how we planned. Bills come along that we're not expecting. Uh, we had the privilege of going down to Florida a couple of weeks ago to serve a church down there. And um, we were down there the, the day or two days down there. And, you know, Florida's like humid and hot all the time. And two days down there, the air conditioning busts in our car. And uh, our kids start looking up online. I'm get, I get reports from the back like, Daddy, uh, this is $2,000 repair. Daddy, this is going to, oh, $1,800. I think we can get it for $1,800, Daddy. That's a bill I wasn't expecting. It comes out of nowhere. Uh, maybe you don't get the promotion that you hoped for at the job. Uh, maybe you slip back into a habit that you thought you'd overcome. Maybe you say something hurtful or harsh and then you regret it. And, you know, you can't take those words back again. Maybe you stumble or fall in some area of your life. The list of defeats go on and on and on. And the list of hits from life keep coming, don't they? And when these things happen, we can very easily feel that we're a defeated person. And we can even take on the identity of defeat. But the message this morning is this. Whatever's happening in your world, whatever's happening in our church, whatever's happening in the wider world, our identity is not defeat. Our identity is victory in Jesus. Amen? All right, three people amen that one. That's good. 
It's better than one. We've got three. So by the end of this, I want everyone to be on board with this train, okay? We're going to be on this together as a victorious church coming together. The truth of who we are, I'm going to say this twice to you. The truth of who we are is not found in the mistake, but the truth of who you are is found in the Word of God, Jesus. Let me say it again. The truth of who you are is not found in the mistake that you made, But the truth of who you are is found in the Word of God. Let's read a scripture. We're going to read a few this morning. We do that in church and that's good. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 55 through 57. And by the way, I haven't given any scriptures to the guys in the uh, screen there, so please be patient with them. This is all hot off the press. While you're fumbling in your Bible to find it, they're on the computer trying to find it as well. So be patient. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. It says there, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That's 55 and 56. That's pretty heavy stuff. But then we get to verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us what? Victory. Thanks be to God who gives us a 9-0 victory, a 63-0 victory. No, it's way greater than that. And we're going to unpack this word victory in a moment. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse tells us that what we have in our possession Even in a world of law, sin and death, what we have in our possession gives us victory. Whatever your failing and mistake, you still have in your possession a victorious identity through Jesus Christ. So let me say it again, your your identity is not your failure. Your identity is not your mistake. Your identity is is not the bad thing that happened to you, past or present. Your identity is right here. You are victorious through Jesus Christ. Okay, let's unpack a little Greek now. The Greek word Paul uses here for victory is the word nikos, N-I-K-O-S which is from a root word that we're very familiar with. It's the word, well, we say Nike. Some of you may look at your shoes and have a little swoosh on it in the back of the heel. You've got the word Nike. They stole that from the Greek New Testament. That's what the word is. It's actually not pronounced. In in America, we say Nike. In England, we say Nike. The actual pronunciation of this word is Nike. But it's the same word, N-I-K-E. And here's what it means. I'm going to read it out to you. Nike means a concrete and triumphant victory to utterly vanquish the enemy. So let's read this scripture again and insert that definition instead of the word victory. It says there, But thanks be to God who gives us a concrete and triumphant victory to utterly vanquish the enemy through our Lord Jesus Christ. So every time some failure or mistake or challenge or negative thing comes into your life. Every time you feel like you're going down the hill, you're down the roller coaster, you can pull up this scripture and you can say 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, But thanks be to God who gives us, who gives me a concrete and triumphant victory to utterly vanquish the enemy through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through Jesus and because of Jesus, you possess the gift of a concrete, triumphant victory.
that has totally trounced, totally defeated, and totally routed the enemy. That's incredible. That deserves a wow. But look at this because it gets even better. You thought that was good. You thought that puts you in a great place. It gets better than that. In Romans chapter 8, we can pull this one up. Romans 8.37. You can uh, pop over to that if you like. Or you can just sit back and let me read. I promise I won't read a lie to you. I'll read what it says in the Bible, okay? In Romans 8.37, it says this. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Let me say it again. In all these things, you can put whatever challenge, pain, hurt, wound, mistake, failure you want in there. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Okay, we're going to go back to the Greek. Are you okay with this? So this is our third language of the day. We've had English, Southern, and now we're doing some Greek. The Greek word that the writer to the Romans uses here that we translate overwhelmingly conquer, is not just Nikos. And it's not Nike or Nike or Nike. It's actually the word Hooper Nikeo. I was going to wear, I have a Superman t-shirt. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if at this moment when I said that, I stood here and ripped open this shirt and suddenly I have my Superman shirt on. But although I'm not going to do that because my kids would get embarrassed and now I'd have to sew the buttons back on my shirt and that would be a nuisance for my afternoon. So I'm not going to do that. But imagine yourself doing that. That's what this scripture says you are. You are not just victorious. You're not just Nike or Nikeo. Here, the writer says you are Hooper Nikeo. You're like super conqueror. I don't know if you've ever watched any of the Superman movies or if you've got a favorite superhero. But they all have their their power, don't they? Some can fly. Some can spin webs out of their wrists. They do all these different things. You know, you are like a superhero because of Jesus. Uh, But the things that God allows you to do, the superpowers you have, they go far beyond the physical realm. These are spiritual realm giftings that you have because you are Hooper Nikeo. You are an overwhelming conqueror. Now, this word means to be more than a conqueror, to gain a surpassing and decisive victory and to vanquish the enemy beyond sight. That's who you are. That's your identity. And corporately, that's who we are. So what this means, and I'm just getting warmed up, by the way. I hope that's okay. What this means is that through Jesus, not only do we possess the gift of victory, but it takes it up to a whole other level and tells us who we are. We have the gift of victory And we are more than conquerors. We are Hooper Nikeo. So every time that wretched news comes knocking on your door, and I guarantee it will come tomorrow morning probably. Maybe it's going to come on your cell phone on the way home. It's going to go, excuse me, I know you heard a really nice message this morning from a guy with a different accent, but uh, let's get back to reality. Uh, Your problems are right here. You can say, oh, not again. that thing keeps cropping up. It keeps coming into my life. It keeps knocking me down. It keeps hitting me. Or you can say, oh, hello. You don't know who I am, do you? Let me show you who I am. I am because of Christ. More than a conqueror. 
Isn't that awesome? Some of you are going to go home. You're going to go into the bathroom. You're going to lock the door so no one walks in. You're going to say, I wonder how this feels. Oh, I can't. I can't do it. No. But you're going to do You're going to whoop in the cow. It's me. I tell you, it feels good to know who we really are. It feels good to know who we really are. Amen. See, for some of you, this is a refresh. I know some of you, you've heard this and it's like, oh man, I've forgotten about that. That's awesome. For some of you who are hearing this for the first time, I can see it in your eyes. You're like, is that really who I am? I'm a hoopanikeo. I'm more than a conqueror. Yes, you are because of Jesus. It's not because you got a degree or because you've been a Christian uh, an extra month, you know, six years, five months and three days or anything like that. It's all because of Jesus and what he's done. You are hoopanikeo because of that more than a conqueror. Amen. You are a real life, living and breathing superhero. And some of you have never seen yourselves as that before, but that's who you are. And that is our foundation truth that we're going to build the rest of our teaching on this morning. But I couldn't go into the next portion without laying that foundation. I call it the same page principle. We cannot go forward together unless we're on the same page, right? It's like a, any sports team. Before you go on to the, the, the sports arena, the pitch, the field, the court, whatever it might be, if you're in a team, someone has to sit down and say, right, this is what we're going to do. Right? You're going to go here. Hey, you're going to go up here. And hey, if you go over there, and we're going to do this. Okay? We kind of have a game plan. We get on the same page, right? Well, that's what we've just done. We just got on the same page. And however you came in feeling this morning, Suddenly, you've been told you are more than a conqueror through Christ. You are a hoopanikeo through Jesus Christ. So what do we do with that? Well, we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. This is going to be our main scripture for the next 15, 20 minutes. 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to read verse 8 through 12. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we... uh, Open this main portion of Scripture this morning that you would lead us and guide us. We don't want to leave this place the same we came in. We say, God, would you let your word do its work in our lives, individually and corporately. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 2 Samuel 23, starting at verse 8. Is everybody ready? If you're ready, say, "Mm mm-hmm. Okay. Verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Josheb, Bashebeth, Atakamite, chief of the captains. He was also called Adino the Esnite because of the 800 slain by him at one time. That's quite a friend to have on your team. This dude killed 800 people in one time in battle. Wouldn't you like to work out with that guy, Brett? That would be all right. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo the Ahoite. One of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to strip the slain. Now after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, a Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there's a plot of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But Shammah took his stand in the midst of the field, defended it and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Right here we meet three individuals in this scripture. And from this scripture, I want to share with us five kingdom keys to walking together as a victorious family. Because 
it's one thing to know who you are. It's one thing to know our identity in Christ. And we could shut the door and go home now and you could say, okay, well, I'm a super victorious person. I'm more than a conqueror. I am Hooper Nikeo and all of that. But what do I do with that? Well, that's what this next portion is about. Portion number one was let's get on the same page. Let's know who we are in Christ. Okay, now let's do something about it. Amen. So I'm going to give you five keys. Give us five keys to help us walk together as a victorious family. Key number one to walking together as a victorious family. Write this down. Jot it down. If you've got a photographic memory, you can memorize it. Otherwise, write it down. Community releases victory. We are not called to be victorious on our own. I'm not called to be a solo victorious warrior, a solo superhero flying through the night fixing things by myself, and nor are you. We're called to be a victorious community. Community releases victory. In verse 8 it says here, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. David understand about community. He didn't just have a mighty man. And he wasn't just a mighty man. He had a group of mighty men. And we're introduced to Josheb, Eleazar and Shammah. And one of the keys to walking together as a victorious family God has ordained us to be is to live as real community. These mighty men of David, they lived together. They ate together. They shared life together. They slept in caves together. They did everything together. They didn't just, and I'm, listen, don't get mad with me with what I'm about to say. They didn't just show up once a week for a powwow and then go back to independent living. Ouch, that hurt. Let me say it again. They didn't just show up once a week for a little corporate, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, bless you, how are you, bless you, fine. Okay, I'll see you next week and head off. That ain't community. By the way, this isn't church. Uh Uh-oh, now people are ready to leave. This isn't church. This is one of many expressions of church. Come on. Just hug me. Just hug me. This is church. Brett, just hug me. This is church. People being together. This is church. When we gather like this, when I meet Brett in the gym, uh, he's up there pushing like 250, 300 pounds. I'm there on my little elliptical machine like a little gazelle. <laughs> I know he laughs at me. It's okay. But, 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 but when, we're, when we're there at the gym together, guess what? That's church. We look at each other over the gym, and I've got the American thing. What's up? What's up? We just had church. Why? Because we're fellowshipping together. We'll have a little chat, a little encouragement. This is not church. This is one expression of many of the church. Amen? And so it's important that we understand community, and we don't limit community to our once-a-week get-together. I want to encourage you. If you know people who are sick who are not here today, don't just pray a little Sunday morning blessing over them and hope everything's okay. Give them a call. On the way home, hands free, give them a phone call. How you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? We prayed for you. What can we do? How can we help you? Tomorrow, call them again. Take them a meal. Send them a gift card. Do something. But be community. I really appreciated John and Christine last weekend. I was the sick one last weekend. And somehow John and Christine found out. I get a text message from Christine. She says, hey, Matt, we want to bring you a meal tonight. Is that okay? But they get community. They understand it. But you see, what's from the head needs to flow down. 
And I really encourage you, if you want to walk as a hupernikeo, as a more than conqueror, community releases victory. We have to learn to live in community and do these things together. Amen? These three men here and others that David had, they were for one another. They had each other's backs. They didn't see each other as an optional extra until something better came along because they knew that their community released the victory they wanted to walk in. And so today, church, as we grow in victory, as we lay aside our personal preferences for the benefits of others, as we watch each other, as we check in on each other, as we reach out to each other, as we commit in our hearts not just to be a Sunday gathering, but to be a family community, I tell you, we will see the victory that we already possess. You'll see it start to break through in your life. It will happen because community releases uh, victory. Amen? I'm encouraging that so much. Number two, key number two to walking together as a victorious family. Don't quit when you're weary. Okay, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a mirror here and I'm going to preach this point to myself. And if you want to listen and if this speaks to you, go ahead. But this is for me right now. Because sometimes when things get weary in my line of work, I've I've, I've got to work outside of ministry. I've got a job, I do. And sometimes when work gets weary, I just feel like, what's the point? I just want to quit on this. Okay, so I haven't. I'm not going to and I won't. But I'm going to preach to myself and share this to myself. And if you want to listen in, you can, okay? It says in verse 10, Eleazar, he arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary. Because sometimes life and work and family and even community can make us weary. The battles and the fights and the losses and the stress and all that stuff can be emotionally and spiritually exhausting to us. But in those times of weariness, I want to say to you, Matt, I want to encourage you, church, don't be tempted to quit. In Psalm 30, David declares something very powerful. He says there, Weeping may last for the night, but joy always comes in the morning. I love that scripture. I remember a number of years ago, I was in India. I've been to India about 20 times. And I love India. I love Indian people, culture, food, everything about India. And I was there and I was, I was on my own. Darlene couldn't come on this particular trip. I took some other people with me, and they were stay- They were married couples, so they were staying in different locations. And I was in this, uh, like a youth hostel place, but I was by myself. And um, I remember one night in this place, I was, I was speaking at a conference there, and speaking at a Bible school, and we've built orphanages there, and all of that stuff. But I remember one night, this, I want to call it a demon of depression and heaviness came on me. And I was in my room. And I was literally, it was the most heavy slash depressed slash what am I even doing here that I've ever felt in my life in a little room with a simple uncomfortable bed in India. And I'd done done that so many times. That was nothing. But something came on me and I had this heaviness, this weight of negativity and depression like I've never felt before. And this scripture helped me make it through the night. And I literally clung to this scripture through the night. 
I clung to this scripture that says, though weeping may last for the night. I was in that room literally weeping, wanting to be home, wanting to be, I didn't know what was going on, wanting to be out of that place. I was supposed to be lecturing on certain things the next day in a Bible college. I just wanted to be home and I'm just weeping. But this scripture, weeping uh, last for the night, but joy always comes in the morning. I tell you, this, this scripture, if you are in a season right now where you sometimes you just have to weep through the night, know that the joy of the Lord will always come in the morning. The joy of the Lord will always come to you. The presence of the Lord will always come to you. Whatever you, However deep down you are, however low in the barrel you are, the joy of the Lord will always come to you. So if you're feeling weary, if you feel like quitting, remember that even in your weariness, your identity doesn't change. Who are you? Who are you? Yeah? See, you, can, you can say it with pain. Say, I am Hupanikeo. Let's try again. Who are you? Yes, you are. That's who you are. You may be weary today. You may be in that place of weeping in the night. Right now, maybe your night of weeping. You may be uncertain, but the promise of the Lord is joy comes in the morning and victory belongs to us when we don't quit because of who He is. But the key is if you want victory, don't quit. Don't give up. Amen? So let's be a community. It releases victory. Let's not quit because quitters don't get victory. Key number three. This is going to be a big one for some of you. We have to cling to what God has placed in our hands. Hold on to what God placed in your hands. Verse 10, it says, He rose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary, and he clung to his sword. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary, and he clung to his sword. You know, it's so easy to, isn't it easy to look at what others have got? You ever do that? I um. I used to have a 1977 Ford F-150, and the person who owned it before me was a Clemson fan, and it was painted orange and purple striped. And it was rusty, but you couldn't see the rust because rust is kind of an orangey color, so it's orange and purple striped. And it was beat up, and often. It would break down. I had a good friend who was a mechanic. I'd often call him up and say, hey, are you able to come and help me out? Um, but I, we'd often drive down the road, and one of my kids, like a real fancy truck would drive past us, like high-end, you know, one of those $70,000, $80,000 trucks would go steaming past us. Sometimes we'd be broken on the side of the road and they'd go past us. But usually they'd always go past us anyway. And then one of the kids said, Daddy, why can't we just have a truck like that? But my kids have now learned the answer. They don't say it anymore. They've learned the answer. Because I'd say, well, what's the difference between that truck and this truck? And the answer was, oh, this truck is paid for. We get it. This truck is paid for. But, you know, it's so easy to, co- to look at what others have and to compare ourselves to others, to compare our lives to others, isn't it? To compare our resources to others. But we have to know what to cling on to. Don't cling on to what God's blessed someone else with. Thank, thank the Lord for that. Celebrate with them. Rejoice with them. If you see someone who God's blessed, just rejoice with them. But, but just cling on and, and hold on to the things God's given you. Don't let go of those things. If you know what is in your hand is from God, hold on to it. He had to hold on to his sword. If he'd let go of his sword and his weariness, he'd have been attacked and destroyed and defeated and killed. But he clung on to his sword. I want to encourage you, cling on to the dreams and the hopes that you have. 
Just like Eleazar clung on to that sword, cling on to the hopes of the Lord, the dreams from the Lord, and let go uh, of, the, of the dreams that advertisers try and plant in your mind. I, I despise the adverts on the television telling me how I'm supposed to live my life, telling me how my smile should look, how my body should look, how, how, how my clothes should look, how my car should look, how my house should look, how my pets should be perfect as they walk around. They tell me all of these things, but it's all a lie. All I need is to cling on to the dreams and the hopes that God has given me. Cling on to the promises and yeses of God in your life. Hold on to those things. Let go of the unfaithful promises of men. Cling on to the gifts and talents God has blessed you with. Let go of the vain gifts that that men try to seduce you with. Cling on to your sword and cling on to your shield that God has placed in your hand. And let go of the pathetic, manipulative tools the world tries to give you. Church, let's cling on to what we know God has placed in our hands. Because when we cling on to what God has placed in our hands, we will receive and walk in victory. Amen? Come on, we're starting to get there. Okay, key number four. Two keys left. Are you okay? Because I can go now. I'm hungry. I can go and have some food now. If you're done, I'm done. Or we could just finish it up. Okay, keep going. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm not stopping. (laughs) You can leave if you want. I'm not stopping. Key number four. This is critical. Listen to this. Don't despise your insignificant land. Don't despise your insignificant land. Verse 11. I love this. This is one of my favorite people in the whole of the Bible. I love Shammah. Listen to this. Now, after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, a Hararite. Even that sounds cool, doesn't it? What's your name? I'm Shammah. I'm the son of Agi, a Hararite. Oh, man, that's good. He said, And the Philistines, not just one, but a group of Philistines, were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. Again, it's so easy to get pulled into the glam and the glitz and success of other people. Uh, We live in a world where more equals success, right? That's what the world tells us. The more you have in your bank account, the more successful you are. Or or the more cars you have, or the more uh, uh, horsepower you have in your car, the more successful you are. Or the bigger your stuff is, the better it is. The bigger your house is, uh, the better you're doing. But the kingdom of God has a very different economy. Success in the kingdom of God is those who are faithful in little. You know who some of the most successful people are here this morning? It's not Matt the preacher, because I've got the mic on the stage. It's the people out there looking after the kiddos, because they're being faithful with the little. That is kingdom success. Is this guy right here, every week, turns up. And I don't know what he does. He presses buttons, and he slides things up and down, and all that. But he's faithful with the little. That is kingdom success. It's the people who are in and out all the time, just making sure the place is secure, there's no bad guys around, and all of that stuff. Faithful in the little. That is kingdom success. Progress in the kingdom of God is very different from the world. Progress in the kingdom of God is laying my life down for another. It's I'm becoming less so that others can be blessed and so that he can increase. True religion isn't having a huge church, a mega church of tens of thousands of people. True religion is caring for the insignificant. 
And Shammah's area, the thing he defended, seemed very insignificant. The Bible calls it a field of lentils. It's like, who in their right mind is going to risk their life for a field of lentils? Like, we, 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 have, uh, we live on a homestead. We, we try and raise our own food. Um, that's another story for another day. But we try and raise our own food. But I think about our vegetable garden. And if Philistines came into my property and decided to take my vegetable garden on my property, I'd be like, hey, have at it, boys. I'm not defending that. Because it seems insignificant and worthless. And yet Shammah, he's standing in this field of lentils, like a field of beans. It's just not a huge field. And all these Philistines come, and he's like, you're not having my lentils. These are my lentils. Stay away from my lentils. And he gets his sword out, and he takes down all these Philistines because what was insignificant to others was very precious to him. He knew there was something in it. It was just a bit of dirt. They were just a few lentil beans, but it was significant enough that he was going to fight for it. Amen? Now, perhaps you feel that you're insignificant. Maybe you feel the ministry God has given you is insignificant. Maybe you feel your calling is insignificant. But if even if all you have is a field of lentils, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. That field is worth fighting for. Your field of lentils, your ministry, your calling, your commissioning from the Lord, your family, your pastor, your church, that field is worth fighting for. Make a choice now. Don't compare what you have to what another has because what you have is actually vital. The field is worth fighting for. Maybe that field of lentils is your health. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your daughter or a grandchild. Maybe it's your integrity. It could be anything. I hate even to list it because I don't want to miss the thing that it's yours. And you say, well, he didn't mention my thing, so I guess that doesn't include me. Yes, it does. Whatever it is, it's yours. In the eyes of the big wide world, these may be insignificant and no one else wants to care about it. And other people just want to come in with their swords and cut it down. But let me tell you, your field is worth fighting for. If we want to be a victorious family, let's not despise the insignificant land. Amen? Finally, key number five. Key five to walking together as a victorious family, we've got to learn to stand, defend, and strike. It says in verse 12, But Shammah, where is he? He's in his field of lentils. Shammah took his stand. He took his stand in the field. In the midst of the plot, he defended it and struck the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Like I say, this is one of my favorite people in the Bible, that this man would stand against a whole army, take his stand, that he would defend this piece of land, and that he would strike at the enemy just for a field of lentils. I am thankful for that because I've got lentils in my life. I've got fields of lentils in my life. Little things that other people just might roll their eyes Oh, that's nothing. That's insignificant. But let me tell you, it's worth fighting for. And you have those things in your life. And how do you fight for them? Right here. You stand firm, you defend the field, and you strike the enemy. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the, on the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. 
That's what we're called to do. Whatever the field, whatever the tack, remember, we're called as conquerors, more than conquerors, to stand firm. Defend, Shammah defended the field. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. We're called to be ready to make a defense, not just to stand there like this, but to defend our faith, to defend our field, to defend our lentils, whatever they may be, whatever that field, whatever the tack, you're more than a conqueror and together we can defend the field. It says Shammah struck the enemy, took his stand, Defend the field, struck the enemy. James 4, 7 says this. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. And what does he do? He has to flee. Now, don't just go yelling at the devil. You have to submit to God first. That's where your authority is. That's where your more than conqueror is. That's where your hoop and the KO t-shirt is rooted. In Him and Him alone. But if we submit to God and resist the devil, we'll strike the enemy. He has to flee from us. And as we follow these keys, as we bring these things into our lives individually, but also corporately as a church, I believe we will walk together to a new measure as a victorious family. So church, as we wrap it up, remember that community, being together, living life together, there's a scripture in the Psalms that it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That word dwell encompasses every part of life. Community dwelling together releases victory. You've got a choice to make. You can either say, well, that was nice. Go home and then see everybody next Sunday or the Sunday after if you can't make it next week. Or you can implement this. Do we want victory? Yes. Do we want to see the victory? that represents who we are as more than conquerors? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Then let us realize that community releases victory. Don't quit when you grow weary. Some of you are weary today. Don't quit. Cling to what God's put in your hand. Whatever that gift is, whatever that sword is, don't lay it down because you're tired. Hold on to what God's put in your hand. Don't despise the insignificance of what you feel you have. Because if you have it, if God's given it to you, it's there for a purpose and a reason. And stand, defend, and strike. And we're going to do this right now. We're going to do this for John and Christine. We're going to stand together. And as church family, we're going to defend them. And we're going to stand against this sickness attack that's coming against their family again. Okay? So can we stand together? And I want us to pray for John. And this is just an example of how we can do this. And then I want you to apply this in your life, okay? Now, the tradition in church is that I've got the microphone, so I pray, and you're all quiet. At the end of it, you go, Amen, God bless you, let's go have lunch. But an army doesn't rise and fall on one person, amen? So we've stood together, and now I'd like us to pray together. You don't have to yell. I'm not even going to pray into this, but I want you to pray out loud. Well, I'm not really a prayer. Today you are, okay? You're a prayer today. You've got a pastor and wife who's sick at home right now. And we're going to put the, script, the, the uh, Bible teaching today into practice. We're going to stand, defend, and strike the enemy over this precious, powerful couple. Amen? So let's just take a couple of minutes. And if you want to do it the person next to you can or by yourself, but I want you to, we're standing. That's the first part. And now in prayer, we're going to defend and strike the enemy over John and Christine's life in the area of health. Amen?
So let's pray right now. Thank you, Lord. Father, we lift John and Christine before you. We thank you for the gift they are to this church. We thank you for the leadership they provide. We thank you for the anointing that they they walk in, they live by. And we say now in the name of Jesus, as we stand as community, as we stand as family, we say we defend the pastors of this house. We defend this precious couple. We, we come as, as Hooper Nikaios, as more than conquerors in Christ. We come and stand alongside them. We circle them as family. And we say, let the healing power and the healing virtue of Jesus come into that family now. We say we strike a death blow to sickness over their home. We strike a death blow to sickness over their, over their family in the name of Jesus. And we say, let healing power of God come into that place. We stand, we defend, and we strike in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Do it in your life. Community. Not quitting. Clinging. Don't despise what you have. And stand, defend, and strike. And we will walk together like we never have before as a victorious family. Amen. Amen. Go on your way. Enjoy your week. Be blessed. Keep praying for John and Christine and others who are sick. And reach out. At least do number one of these. Reach out to people this week. Let's see that community level increase in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Woohoo!